Thank you, team. You may be seated. I don't know whose this is. I don't know what this is. Do you need this? Okay, all right. (laughs) Okay, seniors, take a deep breath. Parents of seniors, take a deep breath. That's me, right? My son was up there. (laughs) Um, It's over, right? You get to sit with your families. You get to enjoy yourself. Uh, You get to take a little bit of a break. And I'm just so thankful that I get to be part of this wonderful uh, event this morning. But just as you are finishing and have been recognized as graduating by the state of Tennessee, you are not done being students. So take out those brand new Bibles, okay? And let's become students of the Word and take a look back at Genesis chapter 37 this morning. And, um, and I'm just going to apologize right now because some of you are going to be like, he's going way too fast because maybe you're used to listening to people on 2X on YouTube. Today, I would say don't do that, okay? I've got way too much material, too short a time. And so we need to be uh, really, really good at, at going here. And so you're also going to be uh, potentially a little frustrated with me because the number of verses. But I want this word of God to be lifted up. Nothing that comes from me. I want him to be celebrated. I want his word to be glorified. And I pray that we will all be students of this word, not just the seniors. And so um, let's lean on his word, his inspired word this morning. Um, But before we do that, you know, one of my favorite memories um, growing up uh, was maybe fondest memories, maybe favorite memories isn't the way to say that, is, um, you know, I love my parents. They're here today. That's always hard, right? Um, but uh, they did a fantastic job parenting uh, my, me. And I, don't, I can't speak for my brothers, but I would think that they would say the same. But when they went, went out and ran errands at the store, it was like, World Wrestling Federation at the house, okay? Um, We weren't allowed to do that, but my brother would be on the couch chair arm, and, you know, we'd have elbows flying. But at some point during that, my older brother, I would would accidentally hit him a little too hard. And then I remembered that I was the younger brother. And that's when I couldn't wait for mom and dad to get home. (laughs) But I also recognized that this is... Not an uncommon problem, as we saw from our text this morning. In fact, even before we get to that text, I know because just this morning on the way to church, my mother was recounting the stories of how her brother, whenever he would get angry at her, would beat up her teddy bear, right? (laughs) And so I was like, thank you, Mom, for that little illustration this morning. And, in fact, I know that my sons, one of which you saw here, They command armies against one another when they're playing these games on their phone, and so it'll be attacking one another uh, in Clash Royale, if any of you know what that is. So these things that happen, right? And we're going to talk about generational sin today. And so just as Pastor Sam felt awkward with the police this morning, I feel a little awkward because I got all kinds of families in the room, and I get to talk about generational sin. Yeah, wow, I drew the short straw on that one, right? Um, But no, I actually asked Pastor Joe, is it okay if I preach in the main auditorium? I'll switch with you because my son's here and I kind of want to be part of that whole service. So, um, but take out your copy of God's Word. We're going to see an example. I'm going to try to approach the text this morning in a little bit of an investigative way. Some of you know that I'm a little bit of a whodunit guy, and so I love mysteries. And my favorite mystery show that I can just watch over and over is Columbo, okay? It's on Sunday nights, okay? Every Sunday night, except for last night because I was finishing up notes on this, I watched that. That's where you'll find me. Um, But the reason I love that show is because you get to see the crime happen. And then the remainder of the show is trying to find the clues of why did this happen? That's what we see in the Bible here this morning. And so as, as Neil and Tina were up here, and as Tina was reading God's word, there was a crime committed. Kidnapping. Right? 
selling someone into slavery. That happened. And so we're going to jump into God's word. And my hope is, is that as we use this Bible as our tool for investigation, we will uncover what is generational sin. And I've got the points up here. What is the evidence of biblical, what is the biblical evidence of generational sin? What is the biblical definition of generational sin? What are the biblical sources, the biblical consequences, the biblical solution? And then what's our biblical application? And so we're going to try to uncover this kidnapping and sail into slavery and find out, use this as our investigative tool as we should on everything and what happened here and why. And so that's what we are going to try to do this morning. But I recognize when you hear generational sin, there's likely things that pop into your mind. They do for me. And one of them is, what is this generational sin. And so I want to debunk this just a little bit before we get into the evidence. When I think of generational sin, my mind immediately goes to folks who struggle with drugs or alcohol and those addictive things. And we've all heard tragedies. And in fact, I've got three kids who grew up with drug and alcohol addicted parents. They were adopted. It's not me, okay? <laughs> And so I see firsthand the effects of that. But we also know that there's this other generational sin that's out there of pornography and lust. Something that continues to be passed down and it continues to get worse throughout society. Power or status. That is another one of those. Now I'm going to get a little bit into some meddling here. <laughs> screens. Okay? Screens. And I say screens because, hey, we all know the television was our screen of choice years and years ago. And all of us couldn't wait to watch that show. Maybe it was Columbo. Who knows? And we were like, that is our thing. And we were drawn to it. And some of us still drawn today, binge watching whatever platform that might be. But I also say screens because during my generation, it was video games. And we would sit there for hours staring into this screen while this little thing just went like this, getting dots. But then I also say screens because now today, with the advent of social media, that is another thing that as I see it, it is being passed down. Screens passed from generation to generation to generation. Affirmation. That's our culture today. Whatever your truth is, that's great. It used to be that our culture said that all viewpoints have to be tolerated. Well, we've taken the next step. Now all viewpoints, your truth must be celebrated. And food. We won't talk much about that, right? So food is another one. But we'll just move on. All right. <laughs> that one hurts me a little bit as well. So let's talk about, as we prepare, let's talk about the biblical evidence of generational sin. Lord, as I jump into this text, and as I just comb through your word today, Lord, give me the power, give me the clarity of mind, Lord, just to share the truth from your word, the truth, the ancient and eternal truth from your word, and help that to be what we leave here with today for your glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, Lord, as we come here, we look back at this passage, and I want to focus just for a minute on verses 12 through 26 of Genesis. And again, uh, get your Bibles out, and we're going to be doing, um, you know, just popping through the Bible all over the place. So if we look at 12 through 26, I'm not going to read those for you, but some things, some points that I want you to see here, right? First off, I want you to understand that we have a father here in Isaac who called his son Joseph to do a specific task, a task that you would think a father should be doing, checking up on his sons, but yet instead he delegates it to one of his boys. And in fact, this isn't the first time 
If we look back on it, in verse 2 of this chapter, we can see that Joseph had already done this with some of his brothers, and he had brought him back a bad report. And so now we've put Joseph in this place again where he's going out and checking up on the sons, which is the father's task. And so now you can understand this. And so when we look at the evidence, we see that these brothers here, as they look, they are seeing someone who's coming to tattle on them. There's someone who's coming and has done a bad report before, and so they devise in these verses 12 through 26 that they are going to hatch a plan, a plan of deception. It starts with killing. They're going to kill him, and then they're going to say a wild animal did it. They begin this deception. And then they turn slightly, and it turns into a plan hatched in kidnapping. And so we see that right here at this level of, of Jacob's sons, we have deception. Well, but then I would tell you over in Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 through 24, we have another example, just 10 chapters back. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons. This is Genesis 27, 1 through 24. Your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food. You know the story. You know the story here. Jacob's, excuse me, Isaac's wife grabs Jacob and pulls him in to this plan of deception with Isaac. And as we go further into this, it ends with Jacob being in front of his father, saying, so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were, were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob answered, he answered, I am. So sometimes we will say that his mother made him do it. But we can see right here on his own, he is part of this plan of deception. Let's go back another generation. In Genesis chapter 26, if we look over Genesis chapter 26, verses 6 through 11, now let's talk about Isaac. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of this place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah. And you can keep reading on there. We see the sons of Jacob. We see Jacob himself. We see Isaac now also deceiving people. Let's go back another generation. Genesis chapter 12, the beginning of verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife? Wow, that hurts. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Again, we see Abram deceiving people. And so we can see a capture right here, just in these early chapters of the book of Genesis, deception after deception after deception after deception. And you've got to wonder, or you've got to say, wow, this is a sin that's passed on from generation to generation. We have it right here. But what are the reasons behind this? With Abram, it was to save his life. He was worried. And if you continue to reading, once it was found out it was his wife, they were like, what are you doing? Get out of here. Take the stuff with you. With Isaac, it was fear for his life. And what happened? When the people in Gerar found out that, that Rebecca was his wife, they said, oh, that's your wife? Take her. Get your stuff. Get out of here. What are you doing? And when we see Jacob, he's once again, he's trying to get his father's blessing, his father's love. 
And now we see the sons of Jacob. And what is it that's fueling the fire within them? That's causing them to deceive? The father's love again. Deception, 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 deception. And so we can see here that this is trouble for generations upon generations. We could say really quickly, hey, this is a sibling rivalry, just like the wrestling that was going on in the house, but this is definitely at a deeper level. We could say, well, this is bad parenting, right? It's easy. We could take a look at them and say, wow, they should have been better parents. They shouldn't have set examples for their kids. You know, it's funny. I was just meeting with teachers the other day. My son, Isaiah, he's been missing his two front teeth for about two and a half years now. And so at school, he has speech therapy. I don't know if you've ever tried to speak without your two front teeth. It's a little challenging. And so his S's and his V's are not so good. But the speech therapist said to him, said to us during this meeting, you know, when he's in my classroom, he does a really good job of pronouncing those S's and V's. They're really hard. And then he walks right out the door and his friends or his teacher around and he forgets all of it. And I would contend that that's just like these folks when it comes to worshiping God. I would contend that it's just like us when it comes to worshiping God. And so when we look at these examples, what do we see of these patriarchs of the Bible? We see these forefathers of Judaism, these forefathers of Christianity, they're just like us. You could look at Hebrews chapter 11, and I won't turn there, but you could see how they were praised for their faith. But we see right here, over and over again, how they were just like us. That should give you some confidence here this morning. That should give you some encouragement. Well, that was the biblical evidence. We see that through the scripture. Now let's take a look at the biblical definition Right? And as we look at this, we need to be um, looking at, hey, what does this mean? And I don't want to take for granted that folks understand what this term generational sin means. Because if I was not introduced, I would just say, okay, generational, that's like a group of people in the same age, sin. Uh, okay, that's disobeying God in thought, right, actions um, or words. So it must mean that baby boomers have a problem with some kind of sin, right? <laughs> or it might mean that, hey, uh, Gen Y, whatever they're called, um, they're having a problem with a specific sin. But that's not what it means. Just as I've kind of shown you, generational sin is a sin, it's a disobedience that carries on from one generation to another. And so I want you to think about that as we go through here. And I've got two texts here, and... Uh, I'm only going to do the second one. You can go back in your own time and take a look at the first one, which is Deuteronomy 5, 8 through 10, and it's super awesome, good. Um, but let's go to Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 through 20, because our time is short and we need to keep going. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 through 20, and I'll read it to you. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? This is Ezekiel talking. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall no more be used in you, no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Whew. But that's not all. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to idols in the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of menstruation and purity, does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, does not lend at interest or take any profit, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and woman, man and man, walks in my statutes and keeps my rules by acting faithfully. He is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord. 
we've got a guy who's doing things right. But most importantly, he's living and walking by the statutes of God. Right? He's doing this. Now, that's the first guy. We're going to look at three generations. We're going to look at a grandfather, we're going to look at a father, and we're going to look at a son. We just looked at the grandfather. Good job, granddad. If you're a granddad in here, thumbs up. Now, if he fathers a son who is violent, a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, though he himself did none of these things, who even eats upon the mountains, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore the pledge, lifts up his eyes to the idols, commits abomination, lends at interest and takes profit, shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. I'll talk about these in just a minute. So that's the dad. He's not doing the right thing. He's not following the Lord. He's not following the word. Now we have, that was the grandfather, the father, okay? I'm not feeling so good now, that's me. And then we have the son, okay? This is the millennials in the room. Now suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that the father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift his eyes up to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife, does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest or profit, obeys my rules and walks in my statutes. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what's not good among the people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Final couple verses here. Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father when the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes? He shall surely live. The, son, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the Father, nor the Father suffer the iniquity of the Son. The righteous of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. What is Ezekiel saying here? Thank you, Ezekiel. Right? Because if my kids are screwed up, it's not my fault. It's on them. Now, if I contributed to that, ooh, that's on me. But they're not going to suffer for my stuff. I hope that encourages your heart today. You know, as I mentioned earlier, everyone here in this room has family, right? I know that some of you may come from broken families. I mean, I can just think right now of my dad and what an amazing man he is. Stolen from the front yard and driven from Louisiana all the way up to New York. Sorry, Dad, I didn't ask you if I could share this. And he was told his name was Bud Eldridge until he found his birth certificate at 18. Then he found out his real name was Otis Hobbs. An abusive household. you know what? He didn't suffer for the sins of his parents. Right? He is not getting wrath for what his parents did. That's not his sin. That's his parents' sins. And I hope you hear that through the word of Ezekiel here this morning. All right, we got to keep moving here. So we all have individual responsibility here. All right, generational sin. Biblical sources. Where does sin come from? And we've got to move faster. If not from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where does it come from? Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. And I'm just doing a systematic study here. I'm taking a look at generational sin and sin in itself. And where does it come from? Because we have to understand that as we look at this story of Joseph, and Sam did such a wonderful job kind of 
setting things up last week, right now we see the antagonist in this story. We see the bad guy enter, and it's not the brothers, it's not the father, it's not the grandfather, it's sin. That's the bad guy. So where does that come from? Romans chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. What does this say? This says sin comes from Adam. Sin comes from Adam. Do we remember what happened in the garden? Do we remember that Adam and Eve, when they looked at the tree, it was desired to make one wise? It was desiring. They saw it, and they wanted it. It's individual responsibility. James chapter 1, let's look there, because there's this inherited sin, as we call it, that comes to us because we are human through Adam and Eve. There's an inherited sin that comes to us. It's a bent. It's like we're born, right? And David says that we're born and only new wickedness, right? But there's also, in addition to this sin nature that comes to us, there's also a personal part of us. So James chapter 1, verses 12 to 16 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Here we go. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Here's the big but. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Right? You got some sin from Adam and Eve, personally. And now from that, you get your own enticements and lures. And that'll take you to your own desire. And then what does it say? Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived my beloved brothers. So there's this idea of inheriting sin. We all have a sin nature. That's the way we're born. That's it. You can see it when kids are like two or three years old and they start to do things that they shouldn't be doing. They're, not, they're being asked not to do. But there's also a personal side of it, right? This personal side that, hey, you know what? I know I really shouldn't eat that peanut butter cup over there but I really want that peanut butter cup over there. And so we see this, and death here is separation from God. Just like Adam and Eve, when they took from the tree and ate of it, they were separated from God. We, as believers, we see a separation. Not a spiritual, eternal separation, but our relationship with God is broken. And that takes us into the biblical consequences. What are the biblical consequences for these sins? Whether they be inherited to us and then they born out of them these own desires. Well, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11 says, And you have, excuse me, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. If you feel discipline from the Lord, it's because he loves you. And he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have 
had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that he may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I think all the parents in the room understand this. But also, this consequences of sin, right? We, we not only feel discipline from the Lord, but we also can see where that can be for an unbeliever, for someone who's not in right relationship with God, maybe not following God as closely as he should. It can be an eternal problem. Look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, and I won't read all of it here, but I'll read the first, uh, the chapter 1 through the, 5 through the remaining of, the ch- of, of chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now here we go, you ready? If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If you live a life that looks like Jesus, you've got light. If you live a life that doesn't look like Jesus, you're not with Jesus. It goes on. But if we walk in the light, and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk like Jesus, we will be cleansed from sin. If we love like Jesus, if we go out and serve like Jesus. Verse 9, or verse 8, excuse me. And by this we know, oh, excuse, no, whoop, here we go, back up here. Verse 9, if we say we have no sin, that's verse 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So let's just be real clear right here. If you're in this room today and you say, hey, I'm a good guy. I don't have this sin thing. That seems pretty serious. But, I've, but I follow Jesus. Did, this, did you just catch this verse? If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. That should be something that resonates in our heart and says, wait a minute. That means, Patrick, you've got sin? Yes, we all struggle with it. Wait, Sam's got sin? Yes. There was only one who did not have sin. We're just growing. We're growing by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a huge statement. Because you know, when I sin, when any Christian sins, that's what we lean on right there. Jesus will make us righteous, but we need to confess it. We're going to stumble, we're going to have problems, but we need to confess it. And he will cleanse us from that sin. And he will restore us and make us righteous and holy again. But there's also something here, again, I can't stress it enough. It says, if you confess. If you don't, friend, guest, I worry for you and I would love to help you. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. I care about you. And I want you one day to be in the light. I want you to be in heaven with God. And so please come talk to someone about how to do that. We would love, we would be privileged to be able to have that conversation with you. All right. Let's keep moving. The biblical solution. Number five, we're almost there. We see again in 1 John 1 through 5 that we just saw that God is holy. Don't be unholy. Be like God. We may have pride, but humility in that confession is what helps us. Deuteronomy 5, 
10, right? And so I, I referenced this earlier, but we didn't get to it. But Deuteronomy 5, 8, 9, and 10 is huge. Go back and take a look at that. Because when you see that, in fact, it's, it's short. I'll just read it real quick here. It's so good. I love it. Because this is what everybody would look at and say, hey, wait, Deuteronomy 5, 8 through 10, you shall not make yourself a carved image, right? This is the, the Ten Commandments. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above, or that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father on the sons to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And everybody puts a period there. They say, oh, there it is, generational sin. You see that? Somebody did something in my past, and now that's coming on down, and it's hitting third and fourth generations. But that's not a period. That's a comma. It says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Don't forget the second part of that. Because that, just like Ezekiel, is the key. You don't have to take the sins of the Father, but you must feel accountable for your own. Ezekiel 21 to 24 there. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live he shall not die. Right there we have repentance. A turning. And if you take a look at those verses, turn, 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 turn. Turn away from that wickedness. He will make you righteous. You have the power to overcome whatever you grew up with. You know, there's an example here that I want to look at, and we're going to have to do quickly. It's in Second Chronicles chapter 20. There's this gentleman named Jehoshaphat, okay? If you watch cartoons, there was this guy who's jumping Jehoshaphat all the time, right? Looney Tunes. And I always wondered what that meant, and so here we go. Maybe it wasn't that. I don't know. But this, this guy, Jehoshaphat, as you're turning in Second Chronicles, um, his father was the king and did not follow the Lord. And the kingdom was stripped from him. He was given uh, diseases and he died. And then Jehoshaphat took over. And this is what we see here. After this, this is, this is verse 1 of chapter 20. And th after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. There's a big battle coming. Somebody came and said, Jehoshaphat, we got three armies coming after you. Right? And now why this is a physical battle? I'm going to show you that he uses spiritual warfare to take this. And that's what we need to do with all of those things that we call generational sins. And so what does Jehoshaphat do? Next verse. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord and to proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine... We will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in the house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, 
whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy? Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones. Got any little ones in here today? Their wives and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and king of Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah of Jerusalem. It goes on, and these three armies, they come together, and they end up killing each other. (laughs) This is how we fight against generational sin. We bring it before the Lord as a family, with our children and our wives, And we honor the Lord, and we say to him, Lord, you have done all of these amazing things. Thank you, Lord. And this is our problem, and we need your help. Well, some of you may say, well, that's all well and good, but Jehoshaphat had a little more Bible than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Right? Because Jehoshaphat's in 2 Chronicles. And Abraham, man, we only had 11 chapters, right? So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they, they couldn't look back on God's word. Well, for this, I provide you with, uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, uh, when the, the law, law thing they have, like, um, what's that? Yeah. Um, anyway, they have like this, this, this thing of, of a precedent, right? We have precedent here. So I introduce the precedent of Job. Did you know that Job lived during the times of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? <laughs> Let's briefly, quickly, take a look at this guy, right? Same amount of Bible as these guys had. Let's see what happens when tragedy comes to the man called Job. To, to man called Job. And we're just going to look at a couple of verses. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And the very many servants that this man was the greatest of all people of the East. Okay? Here we go. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Job is worshiping He is worshiping all the time. He had taken a look and he is looking at this and he's saying, hey, I'm going to pray early and I'm going to pray often, right? He would rise up early in the morning and he would do it continually. I don't hear that in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's narration. I hear about a Mount Moriah event with Isaac. I hear about some chance meetings with Abraham. Right? I hear about chance meetings with Jacob and wrestling. I hear about dreams from Joseph. But I hear about early and often with Job. 
Now, what happens when tragedy comes to Job? His family taken away, his home taken away, all of his livestock taken away. He doesn't doubt God. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He is patient. And he continues to pray. And what we see, we see an answer from the Lord in Job 38, 1 through 11. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? On who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for glory. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swallowing band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. The Lord answers Job, this is who I am. There's a song we sing written by Sovereign Grace, and uh, Chris and Brooke Heilman sing it quite often. It's called Behold Our God. And that's the title for my message today. Sorry that you had to wait so long to get it. But I want you to hear the verses of this song that we sing quite often in here. Who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our king, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? Hmm. Sounds just like Job, doesn't it? This is an example that we can look after and we can model ourselves after. All right, so how do we do that? Behold our God. We need to make God not just an afterthought as we walk out of our speech class. We need to take that with us to the construction site. We need to take that with us to the office. We need to take that with us as we rise up, as we walk along the road, and as we lie down. You don't have to claim the sins of your parents. Let's be like Jehoshaphat and change our family tree. Be a chain breaker. Let's not label sins as generational. Let's call it what it is. Because in this culture that we're in today, if you can put a label on it, you can cancel it. And so by labeling it generational sin, I don't have to deal with it anymore because it was something that was passed down to me. Well, I hope that you just saw through this lengthy exposition that sin is sin. And so let's deal with it. And that's myself as well. And let's stop being a victim. I mentioned to you that my dad was a chain breaker. He had every reason in the world to not try. But yet, he was the first one in his family to ever graduate high school. For those who are following Christ, I want you to remember, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to remember that you are adopted, as Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, And when I think about that, I think about anyone here who's had the the wonderful privilege of adoption. Because no matter how 
hard a day can be, they're still my kids. They're still my kids. And that's what God thinks about us. We're still his kids. And he loves us. And Jesus says, all that the Father has brought to me, by no means will I cast them out. That's Jesus saying that. And let's remember one last thing. Joseph wasn't the only one that was sold. There was a man named Judas. One of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, they sought an opportunity to betray him. Joseph wasn't the only one that was sold. Jesus was sold. And he should be our example, our perfect example. You know, yesterday I was at the UT campus for a graduation. And they sang this alma mater at the end. I've never heard it before, right? It's right here in the back of the book. And it ends with this. So, it says... On a hollowed hill in Tennessee, like beacons shining bright, the stately walls of old UT rise glorious to the, to the night, to the sight. So, here's to you, old Tennessee, our alma mater, true. We pledge in love and harmony our loyalty to you. How will we pledge our loyalty to Jesus? How will we pledge our loyalty to his word? And we be students of his word. Right? Father God, thank you so much. And I apologize. I know I've gone long this morning. And Lord, I pray that your word was lifted up and that you were glorified here this morning and that we will understand that, Lord, you are our king. Lord, behold our God. Help us to do that. And, Lord, help us to see myself as well, Lord, these areas that I struggle, and help us to call them sin and confess them. Lord, thank you that you love us, have adopted us, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, I just pray that now we would be able to take your word and apply it to our lives. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.